observing a young girl in her home, she was eating crisps and lying on the floor. On being asked to sit up while she was eating, she did so fairly quickly. Later on in the observation, she was again lying on the floor with the crisps on her eyes, this brand of crisps shaped like rings. When asked to sit up while she was eating her crisps, she replied, I'm not eating them. The literal interpretation of language always fascinates me. Well, this example was another classic. She wasn't eating them, they were actually on her eyes. Anyway, here's a question I get asked a lot and is the focus of today's podcast. How do I help my child cope with losing, or specifically not being first? Okay, now there are lots of elements to this, but I'll focus on four today because in my opinion, which is based on over 20 years of working with autistic people, talking to them, observing them, and piecing together what may be going on, these are the four things that I think are good to focus on in this area. You may have different views, and obviously I'd love to hear about them, so email me amercersen at gmail.com. Please bear in mind that the advice and ideas on here are not exhaustive. There'll be many other ways to help, but I hope that in this short podcast you can take something away to try. Uh, Like I said, email me if you have any other ideas or any other thoughts that maybe I could add to a future podcast. And also, if you want to make a donation, you can do so at my coffee page, www.ko-fi.com forward slash Andrew Mercer. And you can donate there and that will help towards making these podcasts. And also, I call it a sort of peer-to-peer support or peer-to-peer gifting service. So any money that I get through that, I will do my best to Uh, offer support to those that perhaps can't afford it. Thanks very much and enjoy the podcast. So as I said in this episode we are focusing on how to help a young person cope with winning or not coming first or just not being first that sort of thing. So the four things I would focus on are social tolerance levels, I would also then focus on expectations, internal perfectionism, And then finally, I'd focus on communication. So I'll go into those in a bit more depth right now. Okay, so first of all, social tolerance levels. If your young person struggles in certain social situations, does not have a good level of tolerance for others and the way that others do things, then they're going to struggle with any sort of overt, competitive, or even covertly competitive activities. Overt being a race first one to cross the, cross the line, etc. Easy to see who's going to win. And covert being a game of maybe friendly catch, where the young person struggling may decide to start counting who catches the most, or who drops the most, who's the better catcher, etc, etc. So, social tolerance, number one. Number two, expectations. Now that is about expectations of what is going on, or indeed what should be about to happen. Now if your young person does not know or does not understand the activity, and then is not told about it, they might fill in the gaps themselves, deciding in their own mind how the activity will go, who will win, who should win, what they're going to get from that activity, etc, etc. So then struggling when the activity doesn't go the way that they were expecting. Okay, number three was internal perfectionism. Now, many autistic people can struggle with this. So if in your own mind, you believe that being first is the only way that life is right, then when it doesn't happen, this is going to cause huge anxiety and stress. And I've seen this happen in lots of cases of people I've worked with. And I've had older autistic people tell me about their internal perfectionism and how hard they find it when something doesn't happen the way they want it to, or it doesn't end when they think it should, or they don't do as well as they think they should have done. So really a difficult one. And then the fourth one is about communication. If you're unable to express what is wrong 
or what's just happened, or what you think should have just happened, and it may be nothing about the winning or the losing, it may be something else that's upset you during the game. Now we can only know this if the young person is able to tell us somehow. So if not, it can then appear that they are furious or upset about losing, when actually that might not be the case. It may very well be the case, but again, if they've got no way to communicate that effectively, or they don't know which words to use, or in the moment they can't put that all together because they're too stressed, then they're going to find it hard. So that communication is a huge part of this. Okay, so now we've got those four laid out, what are we going to do about it? I'm going to give you some examples for each one. Like I said, they are not the be-all and end-all, but hopefully some of these might be useful for you. and You can take them away and give them a try. Okay, here we go. Let's go on to how we're going to help. Okay, let's talk about the social tolerance levels for a bit. So these need time to develop, and a good way to do this is to choose an activity that the young person enjoys and knows well, and then look at what level of social interaction they can manage or they can cope with. So this could be as follows. So you could have it that they cope in a space with others around them doing their own activity. You could have it that they perhaps cope doing the same activity alongside their peers. They maybe can manage doing an activity with a joint end point, but still with very little to no interaction. They can perhaps cope taking turns a little bit to a point, maybe with a set job in the activity, which avoids any confusion. Maybe they can share some equipment, being able to cope with taking turns and sharing the things they need to complete for the activity, such as bits of a train set, maybe building it together. And then right up to being able to cope in a team game, in a cooperative situation where they understand and can cope with others having a turn, helping each other to the end point of the activity or the game, etc., etc. Now, some autistic people may get to that point, but many will struggle their whole lives and not be able to cope at that last point there where they've got to understand and compromise and cope and take turns. That can be really difficult, but some may get there. But it doesn't mean that we can't try and help them build their tolerance levels for social interaction. So once you know the level that you're working on, then you can design the activity to suit. So if a child is at a level where they can work towards a joint goal, you might have two people and two boxes of, let's say, train set, with each person taking it in turns to add their bit to the set, ending up with a complete built set on the table, train track, that they can both play with together. While they're doing that activity, we can be there as adults to help with any social hiccups that occur. And also, what we must remember is that we aren't trying to force any social interaction. We're allowing it to build naturally and happen on its own as the tolerance levels adjust for that young person. So as they're able to cope more in that situation, hopefully we'll see a little bit more social interaction or things that will happen that will put some social interaction in place, like suddenly needing to share a bit of train track or share a space on uh, or share a space with a train etc etc so those things start to build in naturally over time if you want a bit more information about this approach please email me and i can pass you a bit more information another good way to support social tolerance or social interaction is to look at structured social time so you could for example use lego so each person in the group has a set job uh, they all work together to build an item and this can really help the autistic person because they know very clearly what they're supposed to be doing and what is expected and what the end point will be and it reduces some of the social pressures 
and that can in itself help to build tolerance. They can have a different job each time, which means they've got to be more confident and more uh, overt with their communication sometimes, and other times they can just sit and listen and be told what to do. So it's good to build those different parts of what you might be within a group. Uh, really good to help build social tolerance, and also Lego is quite often fun. Uh, lots of the autistic people that I work with really enjoy Lego, so why not do it all together? Now what we must remember with all of this, all of my advice today, is that fluctuations in anxiety can hugely affect how well someone manages in any given situation. And these anxiety levels will change from day to day and hour to hour, minute to minute. So be ready to adjust your expectations and support levels. So just because they managed to do it one day well doesn't mean they'll be able to do it the next day. And just because they didn't manage it one day doesn't mean they can't. The next day they might be able to so if they're having a good day you might get a bit more interaction and a bit more uh, happiness about out, the, out of them and if they're having a not so good day then they might be a bit more withdrawn or a bit quieter or even even more talkative uh, which shows you they're more anxious so keep an eye on that and then you can adjust what support they might need in any situation okay so that's a bit about social tolerance all helping to build up their ability to cope in certain situations which will start to help with getting used to different people coming first, second, winning, losing, them not winning, etc. It may not solve it on its own, so that's why there are more things to think about. So number two, expectations. Now preparation is the key here. So you do what you can to make sure that your young person is aware, or is as aware as much as possible, as to what the activity is going to entail. What happens usually, what it might be like, what it might look like, what their part in it would be or could be, where they might stand or not stand. As much as you can, take all that information and try and put it together. And as, as much as you can, helping them to realise that some of the things that can happen may be difficult to cope with. Some of those things may be easy to cope with. So again, you're trying to put all that in there. So take away as much of the unknown as possible. You can do this with social scripts or social stories, as Carol Gray called them. So you can write a little story that can be read before uh, the activity or in the lead up to the activity, which can help them prepare. It can help them understand who should be doing what, what they should be trying to do, what the end point might be, how the game is played, all those sort of things. So basically putting the instructions in front of them uh, and helping them to, to have, like I say, know what's coming up as much as possible. You can use drawings, put it there for them to see, help them understand it. Or even better, showing them a video of the game or activity being played or some photos of the game or activity being played as you're discussing discussing it. So it helps them to get some awareness of what it might look like, the noises that might be there, the end points, the start points, all those sort of things. So again, you're taking away as much of the unknown as you possibly can. So social stories, social scripts, using some drawings, using some videos, using some photos, those sort of things. So as much as you can just a nice written list of instructions for them so they really, really know what is expected. So make sure you're filling in those gaps for them as much as you can. Okay, so that's number two, expectations. Okay, so on to internal perfectionism. So this is an area that's quite hard to help, uh, what I've found anyway, uh, but you can try by helping the young person to understand what good enough means. Again, use those social scripts, use pictures, use your own sort of external monologue to tell them that you've done well enough, that you've tried your best, you've done good enough. Really help them to start understanding the concept of doing 
good and doing well enough. And this can really help them to start realize that getting everything correct or being first is a great thing, but the being second or getting a couple wrong, um, it's, it can be considered good enough. So really try and work on that and think about some, like I say, creative ways that you can show them that, you know, what good enough is. That might include um, letting them see examples of even the best people or the best sports people, for example, losing. So, you know, show them videos of Usain Bolt not winning. Show them videos of Andy Murray or Roger Federer, the tennis guys. Show them them not winning, but that they're still amazing tennis players they're still an amazing he's still an amazing runner but they're not always winning even though they are considered and said to be some of the best players in the world or the best player in the world Uh, so it's good to sort of show them examples of that so it starts to help them see the normality of not always getting everything right or not always winning Sometimes making clear routines and rules around fixing mistakes can help. So if you've got a young person who very much, you know, writes something or does something and immediately rubs it out because it's not as they should, as they wanted it to be, then, you know, put some rules around that. Give them a perhaps a number of times they're allowed to rub out so they can try to work towards just, yeah, I've made a couple of mistakes. I've corrected those. I'm going to try and move on. Really hard for them to do, but sometimes we can use that part of autism that likes the routine of that sort of thing to to our advantage in that situation or to their advantage because otherwise they might just write something and never get to move on because they're always fighting to correct and correct and correct so you know putting some rules around that can really help how many times you're allowed to rub things out or delete things Uh, but again we must accept all the way along accepting how hard this may be for the autistic young person that we're we're helping It's also important to accept that avoiding winning and losing games may be the only way forward at this time. You may have to just say that at the moment, my young person can't cope with losing. It's too much for them. It's too stressful. So for now, we have to avoid it. So then you might in the future gently gently reintroduce the idea of winning and losing, perhaps with a trusted friend or a trusted adult. So you use a plan of action to help them know what to do when they do not win. So you don't just put them straight back in that situation. You say, right, when you don't win or when you do win, this is how you're going to act. Again, use those social scripts, do a bit of role play, practice it. You, again, as the adult, show them how you react. See if you can use other children around and show how they react so that the young young person starts to see what other people do. Again, very hard uh, for their mind to cope with not winning due to their perfectionist, this perfectionist inside. But like I said, you're gently reintroducing the losing games, but sometimes you might have a period of time where you just can't put them in those situations because it's too much for them. It's too stressful. So don't avoid it forever. But for a period of time, you might have to say, okay, if it's a game that involves losing or winning, then they are going to struggle to to get involved. Try and show them that you understand that they find it hard and that you're helping them to realize that it's okay, and that, you know, you're there to help. Okay, so like I said, let them see examples of other people. Try and use some clear rules around this is what you'll do when this happens. How many times you'll do this? How many times you'll do that? And if you do lose or you do win, this is how you react. So have a clear system in place, some sort of pictures and visuals to help them remember that's what they've got to do. So what you've done once you've set those rules uh, around it is you say, right, you're going to play this game. If you win, what are you going to do? Great, you're going to smile, shake hands. If you lose, you're going to find it hard. We know that, but this is what you're going to do. You're going to take yourself off to a space to calm down, take some deep breaths, 
talk to your friend about it, talk to your adult about it, and then we'll try and start getting you back into the game again. So you gradually build up a skill. The calm time is really important. If they're finding losing so difficult that it's causing them massive amounts of anxiety and panic, they're going to need that calm space to settle down before they're going to be able to re-engage with anything. But that's a good skill to have, isn't it? Good skill to start building up. So like I said, try and help with that internal perfectionism. Those are just a few ideas. Again, not the be all and end all, but hopefully some things you can have a look at. Okay, and the last one for today is communication. So giving the young person a way to share their unhappiness or indeed their happiness or distress is going to help here. So using emotion cards can be good. Keep it simple. Just using happy, okay, and sad can be enough for them to say that I am not or indeed I am enjoying this. Sometimes you might need to go a bit more complicated with having a few more emotions cards there or using thumbs up cards or thumbs down cards or just having red green yellow just having the colors uh, as a way for them to say i'm not happy with this or i am happy with this so that's one thing using simple hand gestures uh, not those rude ones of course uh, but perhaps just having a thumbs down or a thumbs up or a wave to say you're okay or even the okay symbol or something that just gives them a way to very quickly indicate to you as the adult that they're doing all right or that they're not doing all right Alongside those simple hand gestures, you give a place they can go and stand to indicate they're finding it hard. So I know for one school I've worked in in the past where they've had a specific hoop in the corner of, say, the PE hall. And then if someone's having a difficult time but they're unable to communicate, they can go and run and stand in the hoop, which indicates to the adult that they're not enjoying themselves or they're finding something difficult. And someone can then go over and talk to them and help them or indeed just knows to leave them alone for a minute and they'll come out of the hoop when they're ready. So some somewhere they can go, just something quick and easy so they can show they're not having a very good time. Uh, I know one young lad who has a band on his arm. Uh, it's green on one side, red on the other. And I think the red one says something like, please leave me alone. And the green one says, I'm OK to talk. So again, that can be used uh, very quickly as an indicator without having to go into a long winded explanation as to how I'm feeling or how I'm doing or how, what emotion I've got. Uh, you know, what emotion I've got going on. There are more complicated systems for communication. Obviously, you can have core communication boards and some of the speech and language therapists out there will use these. You can have communication systems on your tablets uh, so you can, you know, show how you're feeling. And PECS, picture exchange communication systems, you know, have a look and see what best suits your young person. Uh, one of the things I've used quite successfully is numbered systems. So having a five point scale, for example, one being not calm, five being calm, or indeed the other way around, five, one being calm, five being not calm or anxious or whatever wording they want to use, pissed off perhaps, excuse my language. So it can take a bit of a setup for this one. You need to help them to understand which what each number might look like for them and feel like for them so that they can successfully then say, I'm at a three or I'm at a two or I'm at a five. It's all going horribly wrong. But sometimes just being able to shout the number or say the number is much, again, much easier than having to explain the internal emotion that they're feeling. And many autistic people find that easier using the number rather than the word. OK, so that is a good one to try. There is a, a book out there called The Incredible Five Point Scale have a look on Amazon, dig it out. I've used it lots with people who I work with, both old and young. Uh, it's a fantastic uh, system when it works. So have a look at it and, and yeah, give it a try.
Okay, so that is my four little ideas of how to help with uh, the idea of winning and losing. Obviously, there's quite a lot to it, so have a listen again, take some notes, see what you think, and like I said, email me if you've got any thoughts. All these ideas I've shared have been successful for others that I've worked with. Uh, They may not work for you and your young person, but every autistic person is different, so give it a go. Like I say, what works for one may work for others or may not work for others, but would love to hear how you get on, so please do feel free to talk to me directly if you see me, or email me, amercersen at gmail.com. You can also go to my coffee page, which I said earlier, www.ko-fi.com forward slash Andrew Mercer, and you can donate there uh, to help keep making these podcasts, or also I use that money to give support to those who perhaps can't afford it. Anywho, thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye! Thank you.